Welcome to The Danger Room, a Marvel Crisis Protocol podcast focused on helping you to prepare for the opponents you are yet to face. We discuss strategy, tips, tricks, and things you should be considering to level up your gameplay. You can continue the conversation with us on our free Discord, and if you've been enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon if you're in a position to do so. Links will be in the show notes. This is a competitive-focused podcast, so bear in mind that our opinions are focused through that lens. Regular members include Jacob, Sploosh, Mike, and Chewy. Hello, and welcome to the third of the top four interviews, and I'm joined with by Morgan Reed. Hey, Morgan, how are you doing? I'm well, Patrick. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm good. Now, you're an old hand to these interviews, so you know how they go. But uh, congratulations again on making a top four. Oh, thanks, mate. It's a it's a privilege and a pleasure to be back here recording with you again. I kind of need to say that. Um, you had a bit of a quandary listening to you on Strike Better between Brotherhood and Guardians and looking at the top four. That seems to have been borne out. So what made you come down on the side of Guardians rather than Brotherhood? Good question. Uh, it was largely because I've played Brotherhood in two seasons previously. I played them in season four and I played them in season five. And whilst they had you know a couple of new characters in Juggernaut, Rogue and Gambit, it felt like I was covering old territory and I wanted to force myself to do something different. And Guardians were pretty uncomfortable for me initially, so I wanted to, to force myself to play them, and therefore I had to take Mystique out of my roster and, and then just run a single leadership in Star-Lord. Mm. How have you found them compared to Brotherhood? Uh, well, I mean, they're, I suppose they're similar in some aspects to a Mystique Brotherhood in that they've got a lot of low-cost characters that can jump on a bunch of secures and, and run after extracts. But I don't compare them, you know, very similarly to a Magneto-led Brotherhood. I think that that plays a, a very different game. So I think they're a more reliable version of Mystique because they've got wing unit tokens for rerolls, um, and I, I think that the Star Lord leadership is significantly superior to Mystique's. Mm, that's fair. Um, what about the tactical depth? That's an interesting one. I've I've been on a bit of a journey with Guardians trying to learn about their tactical depth this season. I think, or I think the, the Brotherhood offers more tactical depth and decision-making. I do feel that the decision-making for Guardians comes in with the splash characters that you take. And I think their core game plan is to throw dice at people. So whilst you can do some trickery with some splash characters, you know, I view their core as Star-Lord, Rocket and Groot. Apart from Groot's spender and maybe you know, Rocket's limited spender displacement, there just isn't any. So they're just throwing dice and hoping to win the attrition game and have more bodies at the end of the fight. Hmm. How do you feel about that as a game plan? Well, that's the part that I'm uncomfortable with because I, in, in my, I suppose, seasons of playing MCP and my experiences playing MCP, I don't like relying on dice. I like relying on displacement and things that don't have variance in it. So that's the, I'll circle back to the part I was uncomfortable with Guardians this season in forcing myself to embrace their play style of an attrition-style game and throwing dice at people. I guess we should talk about some of the Splash characters then. Um, which one do you feel like you've played the most this season? Oh, it's Hulk, easily. I think I've played Hulk in not every game, but most of the games. Um, Hulk was one of the reasons why I got into MCP. I love Hulk as the character in the MCU, 
and I was very disappointed that there was a bit of a dud before the, the revamp in rules. And so I was very excited to run Hulk in his new form. And I think Guardians is one of the very best spots for him because Hulk with rerolls is a really happy Hulk. And the low threat of Starlord, Rocket and Groot allows Hulk to be scaled from 14 through to 20 really, really well. Hmm. Aren't, surely there's some point values where he doesn't fit very well. Because with looking at your core, you've got um, for Guardians, you've got Starlord, Rocket and Groot, and then you've got Nebula. So there must be a threat value where Hulk doesn't fit, right? So Hulk it probably doesn't fit at 15. That's probably the awkward one. Um, having said that, there's no reason why you can't play a threat down at 14. And in fact, uh, Mick Jenkins, who the other top four player, um, played and defeated sooner in a 15 threat game and, and played 14 threat with Hulk. So you can do that if you like. Mm, okay. Um Let's talk about Thanos. How? Why is he in the list? Yeah, I mean, I think the cat's out of the bag now. We spoke about this on our podcast a while ago. But for my mind, Thanos is a really strong counter to Black Order rosters. And he's also a, not as strong, but he's also a counter to the um, narrow beta rosters. And the reason for that, in my mind, and it depends how you play him, you can, you can play him suboptimally and he's not accounted to anything he's just a waste of points but if you play him optimally i think his control and his ability to displace characters when he generally moves last because against black order and those narrow beaters you generally have more bodies and guardians have a small core which we discussed so you can you can scale thanos in there nicely and you can generally run wider than than your opponent so what thanos does is activate late and goes and displaces uh, my opponent's beaters and therefore they're wasting actions to get back into the fight so for my mind um with the change to the, the gems, where they don't take up a roster slot anymore, I had a, a bit of a problem on how do I tech my roster for Black Order and beating squads? Do I try and put in Luke Cages? Do I try to put in Black Panthers and Resilient or you know Okoye's for bodyguards, etc.? Um, or the easiest solution that only takes one slot is put Thanos in there. Um, and that's what he does for me. I've not had to use him this season, um, but I'm well-versed in playing him. I've played a bunch of practice games with him. Um, and he's there to go when when and if he's needed. And you like him with the mind and the space gem? I do. Uh, I certainly see the argument. I know you ran him with power and... Would you, did you use space and power or did you just straight power? No, power and mind. Power and mind. Yep, my apologies for poor memory. Right. So I see the appeal for you know the, the power build. Um, I certainly see the appeal for space reality. And I've played that a few times. That to me, though, is is really pushing even more all-in to the dice variants, though. And Thanos with Guardian Winging at Tokens is almost as good as Thanos with Space and Reality. And in some cases, he's better on his offense. So I can see the appeal for Reality, and there's no right or wrong choice. But for my play style and the way I like to play him, I much prefer the double control. And if he does get flipped, he's still got some control on his injured side because he can still use the the Mind Gem, whereas uh, he loses his Cosmic Portal. So for me, Mind and Space is, is the money for Thanos. Hmm. And Juggernaut. Now, I've got personal experience of your Juggernaut, but tell me uh, your take on him. Yeah, Juggernaut, what a character. So, for my mind, he's the best five-threat character in the game currently, and I don't think it's even close. And I think he is uh, such an exceptional all-rounder. He can do attrition, he can do objectives, and he can do you know an anchor and be durable to anchor your squad off. 
So I didn't start with Juggernaut in that slot. I started with Angela way back at the start of the season uh, because affiliation and Angela is pretty good, et cetera, et cetera. But what my roster was lacking was a real anchor who can take a punch to the face, and Juggernaut's my guy for that. So he is also has some really nice play on herbs if you want to go that way. My, my roster's not optimised for herb plays, but he's good on it, and he can do some good work on it. But he's also a really good attrition piece that acts in a similar way to Hulk. We spoke about before that I love playing Hulk, but he might not scale perfectly at other threat levels. So Juggernaut can fill that Hulk role, sometimes even better than Hulk does himself. Uh, but also it allows me to scale my squad differently based on the threat I see. Um, and the game that we played in the top 32, I had a strong suspicion I was going to see Corvus and Proxima across the table from me. And I preferred Juggernaut into Corvus and Proxima than Hulk. So you can switch it around and just put in the character you want who will fill the same role but has a different threat value. Mm. And I guess we should talk about Dr. Voodoo as well. I mean, uh, do, do we need to? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd rather not, but he's there. So we, you you put him there. So this is your fault. Yeah. Look, he's. I mean, he's he's the best four in the game uh, at the moment in the current meta, uh, and it's and again, it's not even close in my mind. So look, he does different things to other fours. Uh, I know some other guardians players were running Gamora in that threat that four threat slot, mm-hmm. but because I leaned heavily into, I suppose the the single, not so much towards the, in the cuts, but certainly in the Swiss, I was doing the single extracts. Voodoo's just money there. And again, he scales nicely with my squad that I can play it quite narrow or quite wide. So I can play Voodoo 5 wide at 14, which I think is always very strong. And I can play Voodoo 5 wide at 20. Um, so Voodoo offers some nice scaling there. And he offers some nice objective control, mostly over the extracts, but in some cases over the secures. And again, you give him the wing unit tokens, he can dish out some real hurt and he can survive. So Voodoo's a, a great option um, when I need to scale him in. And I guess that just leaves Quicksilver. Now, is that a hangover from your Brotherhood roster or does he serve a serious purpose in a Guardians roster? Look, Quicksilver, if you'd asked me at the start of the season would I play Guardians and Quicksilver would be my premier three threat, and I say premier three threat because I've only got three of them. It's Star-Lord, Groot, and Quicksilver. I'm always playing Star-Lord and Groot. So therefore, if I want to scale in a Premier 3, I'm putting in Quicksilver. Now, if you'd asked me that at the starter, I would have said I'd be mad if I did that. But because I was playing a bunch of um, Mystique and and Mystique Brotherhood, I was using a bunch of Quicksilver. I remembered how much I loved him from when I was playing Quicksilver way back in Season 5. And I did have Mystique in that slot, and I dropped her because I thought that if I took Mystique in the roster, I'd be playing Brotherhood more than I should be because I like playing them. So I forced myself to drop Mystique, and I thought, well, I'll put Quicksilver in there. Now, he does, having said that, he's not just a, a heart pick. He does a, a, fills a real role. In fact, I played the, the top four game this morning with Mick Jenkins, and Quicksilver did fantastic work with Can I Borrow That? and um, survived and scored a whole bunch of points where Mystique and other three threats wouldn't be able to. So I think Quicksilver's a good tech piece. He doesn't fit all the time, but when I need him to fit, he's fantastic. Mm, and do you normally take kind of borrow that with him? Well, it, it depends on the on the extract. Well, if it's an asset, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. There's some extracts where it just doesn't work, but that's right. So on the on the assets, yes. And you'll note in my roster, I actually haven't built for assets. I've got senators, which is a civilian, and I've got herbs. Oh, herbs is an asset, I suppose. He's a bit of tech to steal an opponent herbs as needed. But I've got Montessi mm. there as well, which is a nice asset. So. He'll work on two out of the three, but only really one out of the three of my roster. So the rest is relying on my opponent to to pull out a hammer or legacy or whatever else they're going to use that's an asset. 
And then I get the strong impression that Nebula is only when you need her, which isn't very often. Yeah. So I prefer, I mean, I've had a um, a long sort of standing thought process that I'm not a huge fan of characters that can't score and they can only contribute by throwing dice. And Nebula is the epitome of that, I think, in that she doesn't do anything else but throw dice. At least some other, you know, someone like a, an ex, sorry, a honey badger, at least she can do some other things. Hmm. So Nebula, I wax and waned on her, but I ended up deciding to go with her for scaling. But also she goes really, really nicely with Thanos for the death decree and the rerolls. So when I want to use her for violence and I want to scale her in appropriately, at least I can maximize her ability to contribute through Thanos death decree, some winging at tokens, and hopefully her rerolls um, for opponents being either carrying objectives or on objectives. But she does allow me to go really wide if I want to, and she does allow some good scaling if I want to get that scaling. So she's a bit of a hedge bet, and I won't use her that often, but when I do, she, she can do good work. Yeah, it looks like you're not leaning into the typical Guardians go super wide. You've got an option to do that with bringing in Quicksilver and Toad, but then you're running out of cheap characters. Yeah, yeah, you're on the money. So generally I like playing them between four and five wide. I think I prefer playing five wide in general, and just that's just my Marvel play style. Mm-hmm. Um, Guardians, I can scale them out to seven wide if I want to, and there are situations where that's well worth doing. Um, and notably, I can scale six wide with Thanos, which is, you know, that's pretty terrifying control, six wide Thanos. Not many other affiliations can do that. So there are options, and you just pick, I think, you just try and pick the best options based on what your opponent is likely to play and what the crisis dictates is, is going to be the optimal path to victory. Let's hit on your crises then. Um, looking at them, is it largely, certainly for your extract crises, is it more about threat value than it is about the, how the extract plays? It is. It's mostly about the threat value, <clears throat> but there is a large component about the, how the extract plays. So Senators is an obvious one because 14, um, a lot of rosters, a good, well bit rosters can deal with 14 fine, but a lot of rosters are uncomfortable at 14. But also the other advantage at 14 is that I can run a four-wide Hulk or I can run a five wide with Voodoo. Um, and most opponents may struggle into either of those two squads. So I find 14 is generally favorable for what I've built and generally puts my opponent at a disadvantage, generally speaking. Um, having said that, the Senator is not a great extract, I don't think, for Guardians, because I have a very poor way to get it back if my opponent gets it and runs away with it. And I've had a lot of trouble this season with my opponent grabbing it, running away, and I'm well behind on points, and I've got to pull something out of the bag. So mm. it's in there for the mostly for the threat value. And then herbs, you've you've touched on this. Is that likely to see Juggernaut come down on a herb? Then, yeah, I mean that's a good space for Juggernaut. I think Juggernaut's a very good character in herbs. Um, he won't always come out, but you know, depending on the matchup, he probably will. Uh, again, it's for the threat value, and Guardians don't mind the low scoring uh, because they're such so well. Um, uh, they've got such great attrition game that Herbs is fine and it very rarely gets scored in, in competitive games at the moment before we see uh, Nick Fury released on upon us. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so it's a bit of a win-win. I think Herbs is a good one, mostly a dead extract um, to keep the game going to allow the attrition and also added bonus juggernaut's pretty handy on it. I guess that just leaves Montessi then. Um, is that that feels like sort of a, th- a distant third to the other two because it's not a threat value you love and it doesn't feel like you're going to love the what the crisis does for you? Uh, 
Look, 17, I don't dislike at all. I think I quite enjoy playing 17. I mean, that's a bit of a, a classic, isn't it? But mm. the the one that I don't like about it is that it's the odd extract. And I, again, I've said it a bunch of times in other places that I'm not a huge fan of odd extracts in the new turn zero uh, random crisis rules. But having said that, I do have some tech through Quicksilver and can I borrow that to get it back off people if they're sitting on the center line? So, for example, with Quicksilver with a wing in it token, he just has to move up to a range three attack and he's got a pretty good chance of landing one damage and gaining one power and then borrowing that uh, that uh, spell book off the person who just picked it up. So it's not terrible, but it's not great. But I prefer it to the alien ship and scrolls where it's a real RNG of who gets the massive advantage. At least Montessi, they might get the two points, but I'm still getting one to main, you know, to be closer to that parity than I would otherwise be. So it was a the lesser of the, the evils that I had available to me. And then, flipping over to your secures, you've got two of the paterflips in Mutant Madman and Sword. And again, Sword has that threat value that you you like. Um, why not go for all three for, in case you, I don't know, run into Criminal Syndicate? Yeah, good call. And look, I did have all three paterflips for most of the season. What I found is that the other paterflips being spider portals, I mean, D-shape is not good for Rocket and Groot. And because my roster is so terribly weak on energy defense, being Rocket, Groot and Voodoo, um, they're not great on flipping um, the old spider portals. And the other one I looked at was the C-shaped Deadly Meteors. But again, I've got really bad energy defense, and I don't think Guardians love C-shapes. So I thought about that, and I thought about what's more important, do I want to counter or do I want to play something I'm good on? And I think, I believe, from what I've played with Guardians, that I think they excel on B-shapes and E-shapes. Now, I like E-shapes less because they're more about dice and less about skill. And I think B-shapes employ a little bit more player skill into it, and so therefore I favoured Infinity because they had the shape, it has a threat value that's pretty reasonable, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a shape that the Guardians like. Hmm. Yep, that makes sense. And again, it's it's only, what, 17, which is not awful. Yeah, and look, um, you're right. Sorry, Jacob, the... Um, you know, our game was a classic. I thought I was cooked turn zero when I won priority. I thought, yes, two out of three chance to get a pay to flip. Um, I turned up Infinity against Criminal Syndicate, and, man, I thought our game was over. So, you know, that that's a, it highlighted what you were saying is that, hey, this is risky, and yes, it was. <laughs> um, on to the tactics cards. Are there any that you feel are like a lock you take every game? Oh, yeah. Well, it's hard to say every game, but I think if I was to choose one that I probably would play every game, it's Deadly Duo, mm-hmm. Field Dressing, and Sacrifice. Uh, and then I'd probably oscillate on the other sort of two based on the matchup and the crisis. So two of those, I think, are pretty self-explanatory in Deadly Duo and Field Dressing. Why do you feel like Sacrifice is an auto-include? Sacrifice was a real surprise to me um, for the last couple of seasons in that I remember looking at Sacrifice in season four and writing it off as a bit of a dud card and too situational. And then since, I suppose, the 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 beam team meta from last season is when I started taking it. it might have been last season or the season before. But mm. I think it's such a valuable card to just get that key attack off that character who you need to survive. And I've never had a game where, well, that's probably not true, but it's very rare that, Sacrifice is a wasted card, and normally it is just money to turn off that big attack into that character who's only got one or two health left and keep them alive to get their critical activation. So I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the card, and it would be hard for me to, to replace it. 
yeah, I think a lot of your cards are just very strong picks. Uh, one that I want to dig into a little bit more, though, is Blind Obsession. How, what's your plan for that, or how have you been using that? I'll admit I'm notoriously horrible at using Blind Obsession. In fact, I've, I've played this, I reckon, about 20 times, and I have not got any value out of it any time at all. <laughs> and that is 100% on me. For whatever reason, my brain cannot just figure out the best way to use it and the best time to use it. And when I do, it normally backfires on me. So I kind of had the 10th slot where I had a bunch of different options and I'm not sure I picked the right one. I thought I'd, I'd, I'd put it in and give myself time to learn it, but I've, I've just sort of accepted that, hey, I'm not very good at this card. And it's a great card when used well, but I don't use it well. So I think for me that probably gets changed out. But having said that, it probably doesn't matter because I, I pretty much play the similar cards every time and it'd be very rare that blind obsession or whatever card gets it gets replaced with would would find a home in my five. So it's kind of irrelevant. I mean, you could make an argument, can you, for something like Mark for Death, which has specific matchup utility? Look, absolutely. And I and I had Mark for Death in there earlier in the season, but when I saw there was only ooh, I want to say there was only one or two Web Warriors in the cut, I, I I binned it because it's not. I thought my odds of running into Web Warrior were pretty low, and really it's mm. just for Web Warriors and maybe a, a Black Cat. Yeah. Yep, I could see that. Um, I think maybe it might be a, a bit of a hangover from having Mystique in there. Mystique's a great blind obsession target. Um, you know, a blind obsessed Mystique can potentially take down a Thanos onto his flip side. And yeah, then that's I mean, pretty... great call. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think I think the, probably the, the the key target for blind obsession in my mind, and again, I'm terrible at it, so I'm happy to be corrected, hmm. is one of three things. The first is probably Rocket. That's the easy one because you can bodyguard Rocket with group. So they don't have a way to do some reliable displacement. Um, Rocket's sitting there virtually invulnerable while his big brother's hanging around and he can throw out a bunch of dice. The second one and probably most common is Nebula. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that I find is that it's rare that I'll have priority and want to activate Nebula first. So again, <laughs> that's probably a failure on, on me, but that's a, that's a good one for her. And the other one is just, hey, you know, anyone who's going after a character who is injured and you really want to KO them, like Hulk, if he's going after someone to KO, you can put Blind Obsession start of the turn and and just try and remove that character and you've you've lost all your downsides when it's KO'd. So they're the kind of the three use cases. But as I said, I don't play it very well. Hmm. I want to sort of just go a bit wider for a second and talk about the general, your enjoyment of the game. How has that changed over the seasons? Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good question. It's I've enjoyed the game more and more, and I don't know why that is, but I suspect it's because I've taken the pressure off myself. Um, I think when early on I was really really keen to win a season, and I set that as my goal right back at season one. I wanted to win a season of this league, and it took me six seasons to do that. Um, and then I think once I did that, it really took the pressure off in my own. You know, it's only self imposed pressure; no one else cares. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But now I've achieved what I wanted to achieve, uh, I can enjoy the game much more, I've found. Um, now, I think a lot of a part of that too is also the new Turn Zero random crisis mechanic. I think it's fantastic. Um, I think it creates a much more even game. I think previously, if you have a really experienced player, they can outplay their opponent in Turn Zero and not force a result, but put a result heavily in your favour. Now, I'm a very experienced player, and I used to be able to um, leverage that really strongly against most other players. Um, now, I can't do that, and I'm completely fine with it because it makes it a more even game, and it makes it a less stressful game 
in the turn zero because it's not so reliant on what you discard and you know what your strategies and tactics are. You've got to just sort of go with it a bit and see what turns up trumps and quickly do the maths in your head about, hey, what's what's my pros and cons? Where do I leverage my advantages based on the threat value and the crisis? So those two things combined, I'm much more enjoying MCP than I used to. You've done a lot of moving around from affiliation to affiliation, and then there are other players who stick solidly with one affiliation and just keep playing them again and again and again. Is there any reason for that? Is there any tactical advantage, do you think, being gained by having played lots of different affiliations versus just playing one solidly? Look, I think both have merits. I mean, if you play the same affiliation over and over, I mean, I think a good example is um, he's a UK bloke. Um, he does the Web Warriors. What was his name? Aaron. Aaron. So he, yeah, so and I don't know him at all, by the way, but just following, you know, he writes a, he and his team write pretty good blogs and, um, he just seems to play Web Warriors, you know, that's all he plays over and over and over. And he's obviously mastered Web Warriors and he will get, I presume, great enjoyment out of playing the same things over and over. Um, for me, I'd find that really boring and I would not want to play Marvel anymore. So for different different people have different ways that they enjoy the game. I really enjoy uh, building a roster and then going on a journey with that roster and trying to figure out what the affiliation wants to do how they want to excel, and then what splash characters you put in there. And I feel like the characters and I in the roster sound silly, but we go on a little journey together and we try and learn and adapt and, and become better. And there's a real sense of fulfillment when I can pilot them well enough to allow them to succeed on the table. And so for me, that's the part that I enjoy is creating myself a new challenge of the unknown. And it's quite scary. You know, hey, I'm going to play Guardians, no real idea. And you put your, yourself on the line and try and play a season with them. Um, and you might bomb out and do really poorly because you've tried something different. But I also find that that bit of, um, I suppose, apprehension or I find that exciting and I find that enjoyable in that it's always challenging myself. So that's the aspect that I enjoy. But vice versa, um, if you were to play the same thing over and over, I think you'd really master that and do really well. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I do find that I, I learn a lot by playing different things because I can learn their strengths and weaknesses. And then when I face those things, I go, aha, when I played Guardians, I hated it when my opponent did X, Y, and Z. So therefore, when I play them, I can then go and execute that. Mm. So, yeah. Well, I guess let's dig into that quickly. What is it the Guardians hate? <laughs> um, mirror matches. Uh, that's a bit of a cop-out oh. answer. Uh, look, I think from my experience with Guardians, so the D-shape isn't great for them. And that's mainly because I think a lot of their strength comes from Rocket and Groot. And really how well you can leverage Deadly Duo. And if you've got Rocket and Groot wasting activations, double moving onto the center or sitting on the back portal or sorry, the back D shape um, where no one's in, in range of them, they can't really contribute that well. So I'm not sure they hate it, but they don't love it. Um, things like Mystique is really strong into Guardians. Um, she turns off a lot of their trickery. Um, I can't really think of many other things off the top of my head. Um, just uh, opponents playing well. I mean, it's like anything in Marvel. I think Guardians are pretty well balanced. They just get some nice re-rolls that sometimes are great, sometimes are, are not. And they've got a suite of good characters who are affiliated and cheap to put on the table, and they can form a really strong core. But if you can play better than the Guardians play, you can certainly beat them. Yeah, or you can rely on dice. That's another option. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about looking ahead? Uh, have you got any thoughts for next season? Anything that's calling to you? Oh, that, that is a good question. Uh, I, I've got a couple of ideas. I'm, 
I don't think Shield and I don't think Shadowlands Daredevil appeals to me at the moment, but I haven't really put them on the table. I've put a couple of muck around games where I didn't quite know the rules. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to play Asgard again. And <laughs> I think, you know, I'm sort of waiting for that mini extravaganza and I think we'll get some Asgard reveals, hopefully, especially with the, the new movie, Thor movie coming out. But I would suspect that those characters will probably be too late for the next season. So uh, the heart says Asgard uh, to give them another go. Uh, but I, I really do want to play Brotherhood with the new characters. And I think Brotherhood mm-hmm. are in a really, really strong spot at the moment. And I've had to yeah. force myself to not play them this season. Um, but maybe next season I can I can get myself back up to speed and, and run Brotherhood again. Touching on Asgard quickly, do you think there's a viable mono Asgard build or do you think they require a second affiliation? Uh, tough question um, because I haven't put a lot of reps, especially with the with the you know the nerfs to Valkyrie and Enchantress. Mm. I do think pre that I I do think Mono Asgard is uh, viable, and I think if you did that though, you would probably sacrifice the leadership in favour of the tactics cards at certain threat levels. Mm. Yep. So that's kind of where I sit on it, and look, I could be well wrong now because I said I haven't really put reps in. In fact, I not really I haven't put reps at all into the new Asgard. But I, you know, my baseline would be you can play mono affiliated, but you might want to sacrifice the Thor leadership at different threat levels. Mm, okay, interesting. Well, look forward to seeing what happens with that. Always keen to see uh, champions of affiliations doing well with them. Yeah, it will be interesting. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll do something different though, not go back to the same old thing. Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, whatever you turn your hand to, you seem to be doing really well with it. So congratulations again on, on how, you've, how you've done, how, what you've achieved so far this season. Oh, thank you, mate. And look, it would be um, remiss of you not to acknowledge uh, the luck component of uh, doing well. I mean, I think to do be successful in this game, you need to be a good player, but you also need the right amount of luck at the right amount of times. And I think I've had my fair share of that. So you know, whilst I can play well and execute well, if the dice don't fall your way, um, sometimes you just lose. Even like in our game, in our top 32, I think if you'd got, you know, whatever the, the, the percentage chance of your black cat attack was, um, you win that game and that's it. Yep. So, you know, um, as I said, um, yes, I'm playing well and consistent, but also I've just had the right amount of luck at the right amount of time. So I'm, I feel fortunate for that. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for coming on and talking to me in the danger room. Thanks, mate. Good to chat. And uh, yeah, hopefully chat with you again in the future. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our thoughts on the game. As the game changes, the information in this episode may become less relevant, so bear that in mind if you're listening from the future. We also want to thank Discount Games Inc. and Blackgate Games. If you don't have a local game store and they can't get what you're looking for, check out those guys. They'll sort you out. Finally, a big thank you to Atomic Mass Games for making such an awesome game. We'll see you next time in The Danger Room. Simulation complete.